Hello everyone to the first official episode of Life Finds a Way Radio. With this podcast, it is going to be an interview-style podcast that talks about life's biggest struggles and what we have done to overcome those struggles, whether it's uh, medical, physical, emotional. Uh, I want to hear those stories from viewers like you. And I figured the best way to start the first official episode is to tell my personal story. First off, let me introduce myself. My name is Eric. I'm 26 years old, and I am a two-time kidney cancer survivor. Was a dialysis patient and a transplant patient. Pretty much anything medically you could think of I've probably had uh, in my lifetime. Basically, with my story, it starts off, at least with the cancer, it starts off when I was four and a half, and first time when I had cancer, I I know I was four and a half, and they found it really late, and they wound up removing the kidney on my right-hand side, and I'm sure there's a bunch of details that I'm going to miss and completely mess up, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, The main story that I wanted to talk about was the second time that I had cancer, I was 21. Kind of started off in late 2015. Yeah, 2015, towards the end of the year, I had to do a standard physical for school. You know, just getting my two-year degree in school and everything, just trying to get that out of the way. And they noticed some issues with the, the urine test. And... Me, not thinking much of it, being a 21-year-old, I'm not too concerned. I figured all my past issues with cancer and anything medically were behind me. I'm 21, I'm healthy, I'm in the peak, peak prime of my life. And I figured, all right, well, we'll just keep keep it on the back burner, but not really uh, worry about it. And eventually, uh, I had to keep doing testing. About a couple months down the line, I would do further testing with multiple doctors, whether it was my general doctor or urologist. And with the urologist, they eventually recommended that I get treatment with my original cancer uh, doctors and cancer hospital from when I was four and a half. And me being 21, I can't typically go back to a, a, a children's cancer hospital. Uh, there was confusion with that. Took like weeks to get that sorted out. And I'm, I'm still working full time and going to school at that point in time. Around, I believe late February is when we were finally able to get that issue resolved. And I believe middle of March, after more and more testing, in March of 2016, I finally get confirmation that that my cancer did come back, you know, that what they feared, and they kept on telling me, you know, this is a, a one in a million chance that this would happen, that I was that one in the million, you know. And I, I remember thinking, like, going into all of this, you know, it's okay, I've done this before, and medical treatments have definitely gotten a lot better than when I was four and a half to... Now that I'm 21, I mean, it's like I'm living in the future. It's it's 2015. Definitely a lot more advancements have come along the way rather than just what it was when I was four and a half. <laughs> and the whole time leading up to it, starting my process with all of, all of my cancer treatment, starting chemo, 
And that's another thing, too, that I wanted to express with my story is with the chemo, and I didn't really remember this the first time, but I definitely remember it the second time, I would experience extreme mood swings. Basically, what would happen would be I would get, like, really, really angry and take it out on people that I cared about, whether it was friends, family, relationships, you know, a lot of it. And then I would get super upset that I would be angry and I would take it out on myself and wasn't, wasn't a good time. (laughs) I remember starting the, the chemotherapy in April and, um, just how quickly it, it, it changed everything. And I'm still in my head having this like positive outlook, this positive mentality, like it's okay. I can get through this. I've done it before. I can get through this. And I would say up until the surgery, I I definitely had that mindset, uh, you know, the whole process before the surgery, starting to lose my hair, still feeling nauseous. I'm not able to enjoy the foods I want to enjoy. I'm having numbness in my hands and in my toes, Uh, not able to keep up physically as much as I was before. Constantly feeling out of breath, constantly feeling weaker and weaker. Can't even play like video games anymore. And me being 21, that's all I want to do. Wasn't even really able to do that because I would just like not feel anything in my hands, which that was annoying, especially with how quick and how long that lasted. And I remember still working full time in like May. I. I was getting all these work accommodations. I I wouldn't be able to stand up for very long. I would have to sit down for my job. And my boss at that time was more than willing to accommodate anything that I would need for my job and everything that was going on with me medically. I remember in May, like, shaving my head and being bald was not a good look for me. Uh, I remember working with a customer in there, like, asking for help and me being prideful at that time I was just like yeah I, I can do this you know I can I can help you out no no problem not thinking anything of it I quickly realized as I was helping this customer how weak I, I really have become and it kind of just like took me back so to speak uh, it kind of put me like in this space where I was able to truly recognize like oh I'm not normal anymore you know that kind of that kind of created this anxiousness and again like with all the feelings leading up to surgery I was still hopeful still hopeful that things would get better and it would just be like a quick fix but the anxiousness kind of grew more and more and uh I think the one thing that really made the anxiousness kind of grow out of proportion or grow out of a way to where I was uncomfortable with it and I wasn't really able to handle it was definitely when I believe like a a week or two uh, before the surgery, I I found out that I had more tumors than all the doctors and surgeons initially thought. So I was like, oh, you know, like I thought it was just one or two. Next thing I know, it's, it's five. And me not being too worried about it, still being hopeful, still still thinking, okay, well, things have definitely gotten a lot better than what they were 
back in early 2000. Let's let's just get her done, you know. Let's let's get this surgery underway, and it's a quick fix. Get the kidney removed. We'll we'll get the tumors removed, and we'll just go back on our our normal every day. Get back to work. And we'll finish school. We'll do all of this. And I remember. I remember the initial prep for the surgery, too. I'm going in, I'm thinking, okay, 24 hours before the surgery, I'm not allowed to have food or anything to drink, because they're, they're operating on my left kidney, the only kidney that I had remaining at the time. And I wasn't able to have any food or any liquids for 24 hours, and I'm just, like, thinking this whole time, I'm so thirsty. I'm in the, I'm in the hospital. I'm waiting just hours and hours for this surgery. And so incredibly thirsty, so incredibly hungry. After the first surgery, they're saying, yes, it was successful, but there was still more cancer cells in there than they initially thought. So they're going to have to do a uh, second surgery. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's it's no big deal. I'm not too worried about that. The first one went through fine, but let's keep it going. And... The second surgery comes, I remember winding up in the ICU. Uh, that was probably a few days after the first initial surgery. And I wound up in the ICU because the kidney function was just not functioning right. It wasn't producing urine. It wasn't doing what it needed to do. A lot of doctors and surgeons were concerned because... They, they wanted me to keep my original kidney. They wanted me to keep this kidney, not go on dialysis, and live like a normal life. Because dialysis can cut down on a person's lifespan. At least, that's what they told me. And me being 21 at the time, they've never really seen someone that young go on dialysis. And... Uh, I'm in the ICU, and a few stories <laughs> about being in the ICU that I always like to tell people is um, how they are secure with the ICU. They really limit who you see and who's allowed in the ICU. I believe it was one to two family members at a time in the ICU to see me, and I'm, I'm still in this children's hospital all the way out in Chicago. So I have family coming from miles away, hours away, just to see me. And they're still waiting hours and hours on end because I'm in the ICU and there's a limit. And I remember one time my doctor is talking to my mom about everything and I'm, I'm high off of medication. I'm doped up and I'm trying to pay attention to what he's saying. And I, I just can't. So I try to at least focus on anything, and I can't. And then I see a clock out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to focus on this clock. And my eyelids are becoming so heavy that when I blink, it's a slow blink. <laughs> and uh, after I blink, the numbers on the clock face begin to disappear. And I'm thinking, this isn't normal. And I blink again, and changes shape and 
I'm like, okay, this definitely isn't normal, but like, what can I do? I'm, I'm bedridden at this point. <laughs> and, um, next time I blink, it's changing color and I blink again and it's like this person's face on the clock. And I'm not even making this up. I, I wish I was. That's how weird it was. It was like a person's face. And I like quickly shake my head with like disbelief. And then it went back to normal. It was perfectly fine. And I rolled over in the hospital bed and trying to grasp what all just happened with that. I'm just thinking like, oh, that, that was so weird. And I remember surgeons coming in and telling me like, okay, we want to try and keep the kidney. We want the kidney to do its normal function. So we're going to we're gonna do a little bit of operations here and there to see if it will start producing urine. And I think in total, I had probably six or more surgeries and operations on my left kidney, whether it was removing the cancer cells and the tumors or... Uh, putting valves and catheters and stints and everything just to measure the kidney function with it as well. And at this point, I was bedridden for three weeks, still restricted to an IV, not necessarily able to have any liquid at the time because I would have a surgery the next day. So I would just be restricted to this IV. Eventually I was able to have ice chips and then eventually I was able to have liquid and food, but it finally came down to the point where things got so bad that the surgeon just didn't feel confident in removing my cancer cells, the tumors and everything. And he eventually had to remove the remaining kidney that I had. And I remember discussing that with him as well. He uh, kind of sat me down one-on-one, -on -one, although I was already in the hospital bed, so it was more of like he sat down. <laughs> and uh, I uh, talked to him about it, and he said, look, you're 21 years old. This is a big decision for you. You're looking at either having the kidney removed and being on dialysis for a long time, or we can try and keep 25% of the original kidney because uh, it is starting to function again and things are starting to look normal again. It's just the main concern with keeping that original kidney is I, the surgeon, am not comfortable with that because I'm not comfortable that I got all the cancer cells out. And the only way for me to know for sure would to be to dissect it and everything else. And me thinking, well, that's a lot. That's a lot to really deal with at the time. I'd rather have the kidney removed. I, I would rather have the kidney removed and not necessarily worry about the cancer coming back. I just, I just want it out. I want it done. I just want to get this over with. And they eventually were able to, they eventually were able to remove the kidney and I got set up for dialysis. So I was living without a kidney in my body and eventually I was able to go home. And I remember 
going home, being completely weak, because I was bedridden for so long. I lost so much strength and muscle and my legs. I even developed a, a bed sore because of it, because I was bound to a hospital bed for so long, not really having an appetite or anything like that. I'm at home, and I'm just kind of doing my my normal day-to-day process and just feeling really defeated. Like, this was not what I expected the outcome to be. This This was a lot. And I just started, like, my healing process, and a lot of it was just medical. I was 21, about to be 22. I was doing dialysis, physical therapy, chemotherapy, and radiation. And sometimes those were all on the same day. I had to do that for months, and it was exhausting, (laughs) to say the least. And eventually, I was able to get better. I was on dialysis for a year and four months. I slowly became more comfortable, more and more comfortable with going back to work, trying to be my normal self again. I do believe that I tried to rush in to be normal too fast. And that was one thing that I definitely had to learn was there's no way that I can be old normal again. This has to be my new normal. That was the one thing I I learned pretty quickly was there's no such thing as going back to normal, or there's no such thing as normal. And even while I was working, a lot of the job was accommodating with my dialysis and physical therapy and everything. They were all really helpful with everything that I was going through. Yeah, eventually, after a year and four months, I was eligible for a transplant. And I got my transplant from my sister, And so incredibly grateful. That whole process in itself with the transplant was so smooth and quick for me, but so painful for my sister because she's never had a major surgery like that. And now everything is working fine. My transplant's working fine. I'm I'm cancer-free. I'm working full-time now. And I'm doing a lot of what I like to do in life. It was kind of just like a second lease on life, so to speak. One thing I really like to talk about is recapping all the the problems that I had with that whole story. It was just like, one of the main problems was a fear of the unknown. Not necessarily like a fear of death. I mean, I wasn't too afraid to die. I figured if it were to happen, I would know. And I never initially thought that that was going to be the case. It was more of the unknown. Okay, well, are they really saying that I have five tumors or is it 25? All these things that I wasn't sure of. Another problem definitely was with all of that negativity just hitting me so, so fast and not preparing for the worst. I got in a huge bout of depression. I think it was mostly because I wasn't prepared for the worst. I lost both of my kidneys. I didn't know what dialysis was. There was a lot of this unknown. I I lost 
all this muscle that I had in my legs. I was bedridden for three weeks. The doctors didn't know. The nurses didn't know. There was a lot of unknown. And I'm not who I was anymore. I like talking about how I coped with all of that. And for me, I would try and do things that reminded me of myself. So one thing I'm, I'm really passionate about is music, whether it's listening to it, trying to make it, or mixing it, DJ or anything like that. That's always what I would do. Or I would always make jokes. And <laughs> one time when I was in the hospital, uh, during all of this, there was one time my, my sister who actually gave me her kidney, she saw me and I don't know what was going on the day that she saw me. I, I was bedridden and I didn't talk to her. But then she approached my mom and told my mom like, hey, I don't know why Eric's not talking to me. I don't know. It just feels like he doesn't love me, you know. And I, I'm like immediately took him back like, how, how could you think that? This isn't what it's supposed to be like. Of course I love you, you know. So me remembering that, I, I wait until the next time that she comes to the hospital to visit me. And I think it was like a day or two later. I, I was talking to the family, you know, trying to feel up and up about all of this stuff. And that was another thing too, is like, I would only talk when I could. And a lot of the time I felt like I couldn't. It just felt like a lot. But I was talking to the family and I'm talking to her. And the first thing I say to her is like, hey, come here, like come closer. And I start apologizing, you know, I'm sorry I didn't talk to you much the last time or I didn't talk to you at all. And <laughs> it's, I, I don't want you to think it's because I don't care about you or I don't love you. It's just that I don't love you. And she like got taken back by it. And I'm, I'm joking, of course, like obviously. And everybody starts cracking up in the hospital room and they're like, oh, like he's back to his old self. You know, he, he's still able to make jokes, even though he doesn't have 75% of his kidney at this point in time. He's, he's still able to make jokes. He's still able to laugh at the situation. Another thing, man, I briefly talked about it too, was just like talking when I could. I would talk to friends, family, loved ones. I was in a relationship at the time, so when I could, which anytime you're going through any of this, you don't have the strength to necessarily talk. You mostly are just like thinking and all of it's in your head and you're just kind of processing everything in your head and that's that's why I tried to talk as much as I could which wasn't a lot and I'm sure friends and family can definitely testify to this I didn't talk a lot but when I could I would try and explain what all I was going through I think as time went on with the months and months doing dialysis and seeing doctors for physical therapy and chemo and radiation and even just talking to work friends and 
people I worked with in general, whether it was customers or complete strangers, the more I would talk about what I went through, the more I became comfortable with what happened. And it did take a lot of time to kind of, to cope with everything that happened. I mean, I'm just past the four year mark of everything that happened with my initial second kidney removal back in July. And I'm definitely doing a lot better than what I was that whole year. And I believe for that whole year, I was just kind of in like depressive state. I definitely sought out uh, professional help. And that's one thing I, I recommend anybody, whether you're going through something medical like this or anything emotionally, any, any big hurdle in your life or any like mental distress is seek professional help. I still can't believe that there's a little bit of social stigma going on with uh, therapy and professional help. I believe everybody should seek a therapist. It's a friend, a licensed professional, someone they can talk to would definitely be the best to overcome any of these situations. That's pretty much my story, so to speak. It's definitely a very stripped down, simplified version. I could go into more details about it. Guys are able to ask any questions as well. Feel free to message me here and let me know what kind of questions you might have. One thing I do want to mention is stuff that I am passionate about that I kind of learned during that point in time that I was really passionate about is I I became passionate about my music more. I don't really create as much as I would like to. I, I more or less listen and the way I create music is more DJing. That's something I, I definitely developed more of a passion for. Another thing I got into is movie analysis. I love movies that make you think, uh, especially when you're you're bettering for so long. You're you're gonna be watching a lot of movies, watching a lot of TV, and for that point in my life, like that is something I, I really figured out that that's what I like to do. I like watching movies. I like analyzing movies just to get like the broader picture of it to really think about it i definitely had a passion for photography i still feel like i do i'm not the best at it and that's that's the one thing i uh want to hear from viewers like you once we do get to the interview process is what projects are you passionate about and you kind of realized over time when you were going through whatever you were going through that kind of helped you cope with what you were going through. You didn't even really realize that this is something that helped you. It was more of just like, this is, this is a peace of mind. This is a safe space, so to speak. But I would, I would say music, movies, and photography was definitely 
those passion projects that I, I quickly learned that that's what I like to do. Yeah. Using all those utilities, kind of just focusing on that really put me in a, a mind state that made me feel like I wasn't constantly surrounded by medical stuff here and worrying about the future here or anything related to my health, my medical health, especially when I would like watch movies and do a lot of photography and stuff like that. Definitely helped me a lot. Uh, and that's a, a question I, I pass on to you guys. What are some stuff that you are passionate about or you quickly realize that like while you were going through all of this, you you became passionate about something. What is, what is a project that you enjoy? That's pretty much the podcast. I would like to thank everyone for listening. I know it's the first episode, so it's bound to get clunky and awkward and weird, but I do appreciate everyone coming out, taking the time to listen, especially with it being a pretty long episode. If you have any questions or would like to be on the show, Feel free to reach me either through the show's Instagram or Twitter. My messaging DMs are always open, and I hope to hear from you guys soon. Another thing I would like to thank is Anchor. Uh, Anchor is the platform that I'm currently using right now to create this podcast. I absolutely love it. It's super easy to use, and they have a bunch of creation tools. It's completely free. I can't thank them enough for giving me this platform to speak what I'm going through and everything that I want to talk about. Yeah. Thanks everyone coming out to the show and listening and hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.